We are in Titus, and I will be speaking from chapter 3, if you'll turn there with me. I know they probably have the full passage behind me. Yes, they do. I'm just going to read the first seven verses of that. And if I have a different translation than what comes up on the screen, I apologize. I think I asked Debbie, thank you, Debbie, to do that in the NIV version because I believe that's what most of us have. But I study from an NASB, so it may be a little bit different, so I apologize, but you, you can follow along hopefully there. Here we go. I'm going to start up in verse 15, actually, of chapter 2. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. What a passage. What a passage. Go back to verse 1. Remind them. Who is the them in the passage? It's the believers in the churches of Crete. Remind them of how they should act. Remind them of who they were. Remind them of salvation. Each one of those sections, there are seven aspects to. There are seven aspects to remind you how you should act toward an unattractive world. Seven reminders. I'm not going to touch those. We read them. There's seven aspects of what you were before salvation. We read those in verse 3. I'm not going to touch those. I wanted to get to the seven aspects of salvation. Now, I have this I think it's a fair thing. On the 19th of July, I will be coming back and speaking, and I will bring up those other two items that I'm skipping past right now. The responsibilities to the society that we live in, the unattractive world, and then also where you are at when God found you. But I wanted to talk about this today, about verse 5, first three words of verse 5 is what impressed me as I read this passage. And those three words say, He saved us. He saved us. Very interesting, that word saved. 
I don't hear that word outside of the church. It's a word that we own pretty much. You know, he saved him from a fire. We hear it that way. We hear some stuff like that. But the majority of the time, it's regarding something to do with your spiritual existence, knowing God. He saved us. So let's start off with those seven aspects with that in mind. He saved us. You know, when it says he saved us, that pretty much says it. You had very little to do with the actual saving, right? He saved us. So let's think, of, let's look at that. I'm going to read it again to you just for, for good, those, for, those four through seven. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, he might be made, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And this is again one of those, remember, this is what he did for you. Remember, this is what he did for you. When you're worried about these other items that we'll touch on more on the 19th. But when you're worried about the fact that the Supreme Court just voted to allow same-sex marriages, how many of you are upset by that? How many of you can write your congressman over that one? Interesting. We had a lot of people that were upset by it, but hardly anybody going to write the congressman. That's actually the right action, I think. I don't think that we're supposed to really be politically involved in things. We're supposed to be concerned by it, but we're not supposed to actually start becoming a political machine that goes against that. What's our number one responsibility? Our number one responsibility as Christians is to let them know exactly these seven concepts, these seven aspects of salvation. That's really what you're supposed to be doing. That's how we change the world we live in. That's how we change the society we're in. We have an attractive Christianity that an unattractive world doesn't want. But all the same, it's an attractive Christianity. And here's the seven aspects of it. Let's look at the aspect number one. He says there, the kindness of God our Savior. But when the kindness of God our Savior, this kindness is holy from God. It has nothing to do with what you've done. It had nothing to do with it. You deserved it. It had nothing to do with I'm a good person or I have potential to be a good person. So God is going to show kindness to me. No, not at all. It's holy from him. Holy from him. Uh, it's God's nature. It's his very nature to be kind to the lost. Huh? It's his very nature to be kind. His kindness. He says in Luke 6, 35, listen to this. Love your enemies and do good. And lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Listen to this now. The last part of it. For he himself is kind to all those who love him. No, that's not what it says. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Huh? How did he find you? Huh? How did he find you? You were evil and you were ungrateful. That's how he found you. And some of his other kindnesses, let's see now. The oxygen I'm breathing, the unsaved are breathing. Is that not true? 
The rain that falls falls on the just and the unjust, he says. Another act of God's kindness. Another one that I love, this one. It says his kindness leads to repentance. God's very kindness leads us to repentance. Romans 2, 4. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? It is his sovereign kindness that leads us to the first step of salvation, which is repentance. You say, oh, no, I did that all on my own. Oh, no, no. No, no. His kindness led you there. His kindness leads you to repentance. His patience, his forbearance leads you to repentance. Secondly, he says that he has a, says, but when the kindness of God our Savior, notice it says God our Savior, and his love for mankind. Hmm. You know that you're saved by the love of God for mankind. And it's an unearned love. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's just something he does. Matter of fact, you're, you were hating him when he had a love for mankind. That's interesting. That word there is a little bit different than other forms of love. It's what they call a compound noun, where you put two different words together to make up a meaning. So love for mankind, the, word that, the Greek word that's used is philanthropia, philanthropia, which gives us the word philanthropy. And it comes from two different words, uh, phileo, which is to have affection for someone or for a thing, and then anthropos, which is man or mankind. So he has an affection for mankind. He had an affection for us, all right? And this evolves more than just emotions. Most of you, when you fell in love, it was an emotion, right? That's an, an emotional thing. I, explain to me love. Give me the, you know, it's hard to do. Just go, I don't know, I just love her. When I fell in love with my wife, I couldn't explain it. It was just a feeling I had. Well, in this instance, it's more than a feeling. It's more than just a, an emotional thing. It is a strong, active, eager affection. It's an affection for mankind where he goes after us. He comes and finds us. Right? Right? You weren't looking for God, people. He came looking for you. And it's this love for mankind that did that. Listen. Listen, think of this. Here's God in heaven in all his glory, totally holy, and here we are in an unattractive world, fallen man. What would cause him to want to get involved? Well, this word is the word used for why he wanted to get involved. He says, I have an affection for these people. I have an affection for men, and I have to have them. Wow. Incredible. Now, it says there in the verse, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. How did it appear? How did it appear? Well, Tim talked about it last week. I think it's 2.11, isn't it? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. How did he bring salvation to us? The incarnate Christ. He had to take a body on and come to us. 
that's when it appeared. That's when his kindness. Now, there were other acts of kindness in the Old Testament. I understand that. But nothing like this had happened until Christ came. And it was there that his kindness and his love for mankind was revealed. Or it appeared. It's interesting that that reference says when it appeared, when Christ appeared, his kindness and his love for mankind appeared. It was there together. And we couldn't save ourselves. We had no plan. We had no way of getting to God. But through the grace of God, he had a plan. In kindness and in love, his son, Jesus Christ, showed up. And then he gets to verse 5, and he saved us. Huh? He saved us. Now listen, the fact that he came to earth, that he was incarnated, that he was Christ on earth, and all of that, those are all historical facts. Historically, that's great. You can find that probably in almost any history book. Well, I don't know, today's history books, maybe not. In the old history books, when I was in school, you could probably find that fact. But I'll just say that the fact that it's a historical fact does nothing for you this morning if you don't place faith in it. So if you just sit here and go, yeah, I believe that Christ came to the earth. Yeah, I believe that. Well, a lot of people believe it, but they don't put faith in it. And so it takes faith to be able to believe that. So I just wanted to mention that. Like, it's great to know that, but if you don't put faith in it, it does nothing for you. It's just a fact. Number three, the third aspect I would like to show you is that he said he saved us. Love that statement. Not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. His mercy. Hmm. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. He's saying even the deeds that you do that are right before him, they're righteous deeds. That's not what saves you, the righteous deeds. But it's his mercy. Not the deeds, his mercy. And it's in accordance with his mercy that he saved us. His mercy found you in a miserable condition. Huh? You were bent by your very nature and determined to go to hell. That's how he found you in mercy. Now, you wouldn't say that out loud, but your very nature said you were enslaved to sin, and if you're enslaved to sin, your destination is hell. So that's where the mercy of God came in. And mercy defined says that when God says, I had mercy on you, what he's saying is, I found you in a miserable condition. Sinners in sin, that's where we need mercy. And he says, I decided not to give you what you deserve. Huh? How'd you like to go to the judge and you've been committed a bank, you've committed a bank robbery and they've proved that you've done the robbery and you deserve 10, 15 years in jail and the judge says to you, today, not guilty. I'm having mercy on you. You're totally guilty. All the witnesses in the world against you. And he says, not guilty. That's how God found you in your sin. He found you in a spot where all the witnesses, which is really just him. Talked about that last time I preached, I think, about he is the witness and the judge. Huge aspect. So he just decides, I'm going to have mercy on you. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. 
Are you thankful for mercy this morning, church? Oh, my goodness. But he said, not on our deeds. Your deeds, your contribution to salvation does not rest on your deeds or on anything that you've done, even in a righteous way. I come to church. I took communion this morning. I did everything. I show up at the work party. I, dec- I even show up to decorate the church for Christmas. I even show up to break it down, which is even a more thankless task. Oh, but if you think that's earning you something, today I'm afraid you need mercy. And I'm thankful that he said his mercies are new every morning. Every morning. So we have, mm, we have his kindness. We have his love for mankind. We have his mercy. That brings us to the fourth one. And he says there, he says, uh, to his mercy, he, well, let's go. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration. What in the world? What does that mean? By the washing of regeneration. We were regenerated by him. We were washed by him. We were cleaned up and cleansed and born again. Regeneration means to receive a new life. Huh? I couldn't stay in my old life. I had to be born again. I had to be regenerated. And he washed me up. And this is something that only God can do. Only God can regenerate you. Only God can do that. You can't do it yourself. That's why he said, none of the deeds are going to work. You need mercy, and you need this washing, this regeneration that takes place. The Word of God, actually, it says in James 1.18 that this washing is done by the Word. The Word um, of God is the agent of cleansing, as it were. So the Word of God heard and spoken is how you receive that, and then that's when the regeneration takes place. It's a washing by the truth of scriptures. The presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that was done on Thursday night over here at the Everest. That, if someone, if one of those little ones places their faith in that, there was a regeneration that happened. And they were washed up, and they, were, they received a new life. Wow. How many of you needed a new life when God came along? Yeah. Then he says, right on the heels of that, and a renewing by the Holy Spirit. So not only did I need a new life, which he gave me by washing of regeneration, regenerated me, but then I needed a new, I needed to be renewed. It seems like a natural thing that's going to happen. There's going to be some effects of the new birth. And I'm going to need the Holy Spirit to help me with that. He's going to help to renew me. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creature. The old things pass away, and behold, new things have come. What does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit in me. Now, I want you to, let's look. What did he say? He says, renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly. Huh? He poured him out, he poured him out in us. Not a drop. A drop would have been enough. But he poured him out on us. 
Ow. And now I'm being renewed. I have, a, I have a new idea, a new thought. My, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I have new longings. I have new aspirations. I have new desires, new passions, and new affections. I, I love my wife differently than before I was saved. I can tell my dad who I hated before I got saved, I can now tell him I got a different affection. I love you, dad. Huh? I know people in this building that hated their parents, hated them. Their dad didn't treat them right. Their mom didn't treat them right. Their mom was doing drugs and not paying attention. They got saved. They could go to their mom and dad and say, I love you, mom and dad. Well, I think they got washed. They got regenerated. They got a Holy Spirit in them that gives them new affections. All of a sudden, the things I wanted, I no longer want. Not on my power. On the Holy Spirit within me's power. And he poured him out in me. I got more than a drop. He poured him out. Richly poured him out. That would probably mean there was plenty to go around. And listen to this. He poured the Holy Spirit upon us richly. And listen to what the Lord says in Ephesians. The Lord, he says, is now able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power of his Holy Spirit that works within us. Now, I added with the Holy Spirit. I'm not rewriting the Bible. But I got the Holy Spirit, and that's the difference maker. He's living inside me. He's renewing me. He's giving me fresh thoughts. He's giving me things. I wanted this, now I want this. Verse 6 again, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Well, now, the rest of the list is kind of worthless if we don't have that one, right? Through him, the only way you could be saved the only way you could be saved. Now, these are the aspects that got to this point. But the only thing that saves you is Christ on a cross, going to a, dying on a cross, going to a grave, being rose again, and being with the Father in heaven, appearing to all kinds of people. That is the agency by which you get saved, right there. If you don't have that, then we don't have the rest of it. And we're only saved by the substitutionary and atoning sacrifice of God's Son. And then we get to the, and I know I could spend a lot more time. Let me tell you something. The richness that are in these four verses, the theology, the doctrines that are present in these four verses, this is one long sentence, four verses. I could probably spend months going through each one of those aspects if we really dig in and really went deep. I'm just trying to give you an overview and remind you of what took place and what God did to apply salvation to your life. That's all we're trying to do. Because otherwise, I, how, how long could I stay on Christ the Savior? How long could I stay on God the Savior? Notice they're both called the Savior. That's interesting in this passage. One more of those evidence of the Trinity. They both are the Savior. They're, two in, they're three in one. The Holy Spirit's obviously involved. They're all three are involved in this aspect of saving you. You know that, right? It's in the passage. So we have... The kindness of God. We have the love of mankind. We have mercy. We are regenerated. We are renewed by the Holy Spirit. We have who is poured out in us. We have Jesus Christ, our Savior. Through him, this all took place. And then we read verse 7. So that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs 
according to the hope of eternal life. So grace is involved. Grace is involved in all of it. It was the grace of God that brought his kindness to us. It was the grace of God that made him love mankind. It was the grace of God that brought mercy. We can walk through those. And grace deals with our guilt that we have, that we bring to the, to the table, if you would. We bring a guilt. And then God provides grace to cover the guilt. And grace is that unmerited thing. It's something you can't earn. It's just something he gives. And he gives it and he gives it and he gives it in all areas. There's grace involved. And so because of this, and, and, we're, and, and he said we were justified by grace. Hmm. I've been made right before God by grace. His, Jesus Christ's righteousness was imputed to me by this grace. I didn't deserve it, but it was given anyway. Grace says you are forgiven and pardoned because of Christ's sacrifice. Grace imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. It takes his righteousness and puts it on my account. My bankrupt life suddenly has the righteousness of Christ instead of all the sin that I'd done. That's taken away and obliterated. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but now I have righteousness of Christ. Wow. Wow. This place should go up and smoke on stuff like that. Makes me wonder if you're with me. So grace is giving us what we don't deserve, what we can never earn. And then I walked through it like this. I wrote it down. We don't deserve his kindness. We don't deserve his love for mankind. We don't deserve his mercy. We don't deserve his washing of regeneration. We don't deserve the renewing by the Holy Spirit. We don't deserve Jesus Christ, our Savior. We don't deserve to be in his presence. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We don't deserve to pray to him. We don't deserve all that we have in Christ, except for the grace. But God's grace gives all of it to us. We didn't earn any of it. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't deserve it. You couldn't do anything to get there. Even righteous acts wouldn't even get you his mercy. But in this in what he does is he says, I declared you justified by grace. The entire four-verse sentence is all made possible by the grace of God. We are heirs of the grace of God. Huh? The grace of God is what you're an heir to. Now, in verse 1, of chapter 3, which we got away from there for a moment while we went through these seven aspects. First two words of that verse 1, remind them, remind them. Are you so caught up out there thinking about all the injustices, all the things that are going on in society? Maybe you don't like the songs we sang this morning. Maybe you don't like the way we did the offering. Maybe you, know, you got all those things. Let me remind you of what God did for you. Let me remind you of this gift of salvation. Let me remind you of the seven aspects. Now, this is what Paul is telling Titus to tell the church. And they're amongst the Cretes. The Cretans, I guess we would call them. That was a society that I'm, I'm probably not unfair to say was probably about 100 times worse than ours. And yet he reminds them 
of their duties to society, where they were found, and then he reminds them of what they have in salvation. Why do I need to remind you of that? Why do you think Paul said remind them of those things? Because you forget. You fall back into old ways, and you forget what God has done for you. And you're really critical of those who don't have what you have. I got mine. And they're living like sinners. Well, that's because they are. They're not doing anything. They, they didn't wake up and say, I'm going to be a sinner today. That's how they were born. That's their nature. And we can get all critical about that, get critical about your government, get all those things. But I'm not going to talk about all that because I want you to come back on the 19th and hear what you're supposed to do with this grace that you've inherited. You're an heir to grace, so you need to act gracious, right? Remembering what he did for me makes it easier for me to be gracious. If someone could have that much grace poured out on me, shouldn't I be able to be gracious? I'm going to try not to make my Siri come on this time, gang. There we go. That's telling me I need to stop. Um, so the seven reminders of what God did, the seven aspects of salvation and how he did that, are just something that you need to concentrate on. Instead of concentrating on, and then guess what this does? When you realize what he's done for you, what it, what it does for me is it makes me want to share that with people. See, what happens is you forget the good news. You got the good news, and when you first got the good news and you saw these seven aspects, you understood that God was kind to you, that he was merciful, that he was gracious, that Christ died for you, he gave you the Holy Spirit. When you got all that stuff, when you first got it, you couldn't wait to tell everybody about it. Is that true? That's true. That's just who you are because it's something that happened to you. You're like, look what God's done in my life. I got to tell everybody. I got to tell all those friends of mine who are unsaved, who are going to hell. I'm going to heaven now. I got to tell them. And then a few months later, you sort of forget. You don't totally forget because you've got the Savior in you, but you just kind of forget about the importance of telling others about how this should affect how you treat others. Knowing that I've been treated with such grace, and, and believe me, I'm, I'm not that gracious. I don't claim to be the king of grace. I need to be reminded. You need to be reminded. What did he do for you? What did he do for you? And, what, and he did it all on the basis of grace. All, he did all these things, not because you deserved them. The exact opposite. Because you couldn't deserve them. You couldn't earn them. So God had to step in with his own plan. Because you weren't looking for him. He had to come looking for you. So now then, how do we apply all of that? Well, that's the application to it, what I just told you, actually, just so you'll remember it. But then if you come back on the 19th, I'm going to tell you about how you apply this grace to the other two aspects that we just touched this morning. And so um, with that, I would say that if you're here this morning, and this is important, so important, if you're here this morning and you've never understood that these are the things that Christ wants to do. He's already, God's already done this for you, but you've never seen it. Maybe you didn't see those, that he was kind towards men, that he was loving, that he was merciful, that he washes, that he 
regenerates, that he does all those things. And you've been coming to this church for months, maybe. And you've heard about Jesus, and you kind of, yeah, I know Jesus, yeah. But you've never understood it quite like this. Say, I need to know him in those aspects. I want to know about the grace of God. I want to know about Christ. I want to know that I have those things. Wow. The pastors and elders after service will stand up here. And we would love it if you just, even if you just got a question, come to us. We're not going to come out there after you. But if you would come up and just go, hey, I got a question. Because you need to know that you know. The truth of grace is that God did all these things for us. And it's a, it's a simple faith exercise. And, and it's interesting because faith isn't really mentioned in there. But we do understand that it takes faith. It's all done by faith. And so it's simply by believing. There's no outward thing you have to do to accept this. Father, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word. I thank you for these seven aspects. The reminder of this, of your mercy and of your grace and of your kindness toward men, your love for mankind. Wow. And the Holy Spirit that you poured out richly on us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these truths. What grace you've bestowed upon your people. What grace you've bestowed upon us. We love you this morning. Thank you for these truths. If there's someone here, Lord, if there's someone here and you're working in their heart right now, oh, I pray they wouldn't leave. You wouldn't let them leave without asking the questions, coming forward and talking to us. We're ready. We're ready to tell them if they would just come. But you've got to woo them. I can't persuade them. I don't want to persuade them. That's your job. Oh, if they want to know about you, I pray they'd come forward today and let us explain more about this gospel, that, uh, uh, this wonderful aspects of salvation. We thank you in Jesus' name.